This morning, I want to speak on the holiness of God. We've been focusing on the last couple of days, on the last couple of weeks, on how God uses imperfect people to accomplish His perfect plan. And we were discussing that. How in the world God could take imperfection and somehow work it to be perfect. He does that through imperfect people. The next couple of weeks I want to focus on how God uses imperfect people. What does He do to us? How does He change us to make us a usable tool? We're still going to be imperfect. He's not going to make us perfect at all. But he is going to use us as we are available to be used. So today, in the next couple of weeks, I want to spend time on three different areas. And the latter two all build on the first one. We're going to talk today on the holiness of God, God's holiness. And then we're going to talk on God's justification of man. And then we're going to talk on man's sanctification towards God. Now, when we were at YWAM, again, there was a couple of some early morning teaching that was done by a couple of their senior leaders, Chris and Dave, that, that taught on justification and sanctification. And that really got the wheels turned in here. And I believe the Lord started this way back then, three, two, three, four weeks ago, when they gave a teaching on that. And, and so I, I want to um, talk about how justification, sanctification, how they relate but before we can do that, we really need to establish the holiness of God. Now, I think we might say, well, we already know how holy God is. But I want to spend some time to lay the foundation. And I feel very, in all honesty, I feel very inadequate this morning and very unqualified to talk about the holiness of God. So let's just pray for a minute. Would you close your eyes with me? Dear Lord, I just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I do believe that this is what you would have us to speak about today. But God, I just feel so unqualified and so unable to give it justice, to declare who you are, and to declare your holiness above all things. So God, I pray that you would open the hearts of people to your word. Holy Spirit, you minister today. And God, I'll make myself available to be used, but you speak in Jesus' name and let us hear and let us know and let us comprehend maybe a little bit differently today of who you are and how holy you are in Jesus' name. We're going to use a lot of scripture to define God's holiness um, because where else would you go to define God's holiness but to his word? And we're going to understand, I hope, that that how important it is that we establish that God can never be unholy. And He cannot look on unholiness with acceptance. And it, sound, it may sound maybe unbending, maybe, and it may even sound cruel that God can be so uh, rigid. But if God was to accept unholiness, or if He was to be unholy even for a split second, it would destroy everything. It, the, the, the universe just couldn't exist. You know, there are some things in life that we are very thankful for that are very consistent. Gravity, for one. We've talked about this numerous times, but you know, the, the consistency of gravity is so important. If we had gravity that was inconsistent, that every once in a while we'd have a blip, we'd have a brownout, if you will, of gravity. And all of a sudden, gravity was to stop 
You know where we would be if we lost gravity for a second or two? We'd be pinned against the ceiling because we're spinning so fast that the earth would just, we'd be blown off the earth. So thank goodness for consistency and gravity. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we have enough oxygen in the air that we breathe, that there's a consistency of oxygen, that every time I inhale, that I have the refreshingness of a fresh breath of air. Imagine, if you would, that every so often that you would take a gulp of air and there would be no oxygen there. How, how terrible that would be. I'm thankful that I have a steady and a regular heartbeat. For those that don't, thank goodness for defibrillators. Right, Rick? <laughs> but it's nice to have a heartbeat. It's nice to have a steady heartbeat. And, and I'm thankful that I have a blood that's flowing unconstrained in my mind, in my brain, in my body. I, I'm, thankfulness, I'm thankful for the consistencies of life. And I'm ultimately thankful for a perfect and holy God that is by definition unchanging in His character and unchanging in His actions. God can do nothing contrary to His Word. And I hope that we can make the case today that why this is so important and then over the next couple of weeks is how this plan is being established or has been established so that we can have a relationship with this holy God. So what does the word holy mean? Let's talk about what does it mean to be holy? First of all, it, as an adjective, it's, a, it's, giving, it's describing something, what something or someone is. If you look in a dictionary, holy is consecrated, saintly, sacred, awe-inspiring. Basically, being holy means to be set apart or separate from things that are unholy. Other words are hallowed and sanctified and blessed and divine. I think that the human language really is struggling to come up with what it really means to to describe God. I don't think we can properly describe the holiness of God. There are two primary uses or classifications of holy in Scripture. The primary and secondary both deal, though, with this broad-reaching meaning of holiness, whereas it is to be set apart or to be separate. When holy is used to describe what God has done or what God is, it puts God as unique. Um, He's set apart from the ordinary. An example is Exodus 3 in in verse 5 where Moses is walking up to a burning bush. And God says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God set that ground apart from the ground right next to the ground. There's something holy, set apart, sacred, about the ground that that bush was burning on because God touched it. Whatever God touches, he makes holy. He sets it apart. Or when Abraham and Noah were instructed to set up altars of remembrance in the Old Testament. Again, God set those areas apart. He touched those areas to be holy that would be set apart, that would be areas of remembrance for the people that would come after them to say, God did something there. God accomplished something there. It's holy. It's set apart. So there's two uses. The secondary usage is a primary and a secondary use. The secondary use is in regards to our personal response to purity and being set apart from the ordinary part of humanity. 
in daily life that the world has defiled us with and who we are. And we're going to come back to that over the next couple of weeks and talk more about the, the secondary purpose because that really is exemplified in the justification and the sanctification part. But the primary focus today that I want to speak about, the primary focus of holiness is in regards to a holy God. And we see God as being uniquely qualified and uniquely so far above everything he created that nothing can compare with him. There is nothing that God created in all the universe that can compare with who God is. He is so much higher. He is so much superior in every aspect that it's really indescribable in human terms to even begin to fathom the holiness or the set-apartness of God. We see that Isaiah, uh, prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 give a description of a scene that he saw in heaven which we read at the very beginning of the service, as to how holy or set apart God is, even in the heavenlies, where it's already perfect. <laughs> there is no sin here in the throne room of heaven, but yet we see God set apart, even in the perfect places. So how much more is he set apart in the sinful places? Isaiah chapter 6 says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That tries to describe a little bit of what the scene would be like in heaven where God is on his throne and, and angels, holy angels, set apart for a holy purpose to worship a holy God, cannot say it enough. Holy, holy, holy. The holy word here is described in the Hebrew as kados, and it means, in addition to what we've already talked about, the other definitions in the concordance were pure, innocent, free from impurity, a title of God as the Holy One, as unique from any other. God's holiness is so far above and so far set apart from everything in heaven that we just cannot overemphasize or even begin to appreciate God's holiness and how high He is over everything that He's created. The Bible makes it very clear that God is holy and He alone is holy. Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. See, the case is being made, and I want to continue to make the case here, hopefully today, that, that God is uniquely and totally unique from anything ever created. And because He is that holy, He is worthy to be fearfully revered and honored, and all glory is due Him. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 8, Regard them as holy, because they offer up the food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I, 
who make you holy. I can't make you holy if I'm not holy. So God is qualified to make other things holy because of His holiness. He's the source of holiness, and He alone is the source of holiness. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And Scripture goes on more and more to declare God's holiness. He gives us an example because I think maybe it's hard for understanding what it is to be holy. So the Bible gives us a description that maybe we can understand a little bit better. And he talks about God's holiness being evidenced in light. Again, God is uniquely the light giver. God spoke light into existence. God is the only light giver. And light emanates from Him so that wherever it's dark, God reveals it through His purity and through His light. Light sets apart. Light separates darkness. And it reveals what darkness is hiding. So light is a good um, analogy of holiness. John chapter 1, verse 5, This is the message we have heard from Him and declared to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. I read one of the commentaries and it said even the fact that, that there isn't even a shadow of darkness with God. I mean, God is so pure that not even a shadow. Where do shadows come from? Shadows come from something that would block light. A, a, a pure piece of glass with no impurities in it would cast no shadow. But it's the impurities in the glass that would cause a shadow. In God, there is no impurity. He is so perfectly pure that not only is He the source of light, but there is no impurity in Him that would block light. He is perfectly pure. He's so pure that it's evident in the, in, in the way He created light. And then also for all eternity, He's going to remain light for us. Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 24. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And it goes on and says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Into it. So God will be light for all eternity. He will be holy for all eternity. You know, because light is the separator, or is the set-aparter, if you will, when Jesus walked on the earth... He was identified as the light of the Word. He was identified as the light of God by who? Who do you think, who do you think was the first, the first to identify Christ as the light? The demons were. Think about this. Man didn't know. They rejected Christ. But every time you see a situation where Jesus confronted a demon... There was never a fight there. They had to run because the light of God uncovered them and 
and defeated them. Mark chapter 1, verse 24 gives us just a quick example. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This is a demon speaking. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Darkness knows light because darkness can't compete with light. So even the devil knows who he is. So God is uniquely holy, and it's evidenced through the light that he emanates in the light of who he is. Secondly, God's holiness is manifested by his works. Psalm 145, verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 16, But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. See, there is nothing but that which is excellent that can proceed from God. Holiness is the rule of all of his actions. At the beginning of creation, he pronounced things good and right. Very good, in fact. And everything was perfect and holy the way he created them. And, and the law of first beginnings says the way God originally created something was the intended or is the intended way to it to, for it to function. Well, one can go on with this and also understand that what God created was perfect and holy. Genesis chapter 131, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Man was created perfectly. We were upright and holy in our perfection when God made us. But then something happened. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29, This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Or the message translation says it a little bit easier. God made men and women true and upright. We're the ones who've made a mess of things. <laughs> God, God didn't mess it up. Yeah, don't blame, don't blame your problems on God because God made us perfect. He did, he's not the one that, that caused the imperfection. He's not the one that caused the curse of sin. God made us perfect. Man made in the image and likeness of his creator was holy and perfect until, man's made, until man made a poor choice. And unfortunately, the choices of Adam and Eve created generational curses that are in evidence today. And in likewise consideration, maybe the way I'm living today may create generational curses for my bloodline too. So I need to be careful here of how I live today because I don't want to repeat the mistakes that Adam and Eve made. I want to declare God's holiness. And that's where justification and sanctification comes in. So you're going to have to wait for a couple of weeks to figure out how to do it. <laughs> we'll get that, and that'll be a lot of fun. But even angels were created holy. The angels that fell were holy at one time. Jude, chapter, or Jude 6 says the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. But even they were created holy. Satan. What about Satan? Has Satan always been bad? Has Satan always been evil? No. He was created perfect. 
Ezekiel 28:15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in me. So there came a point in time in Satan's existence where pride entered Satan, and that's where the beginning of the end came. But when he was first created, he was perfect. And he was holy. He was set apart. God's holiness is also manifested in his law. God is just and with absolute holiness establishes his law for all men to follow. And his law forbids sin of any type. There is no sin that escapes God's law. God's law is holy and it prevails. Psalm chapter 19, verses 8 through 9. The precepts or the laws of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Wow, I mean, that's, read that verse. Go home and read that verse a couple times and just read it through a few times and, and just see how much good is packed in the law of God. See, we have a tendency as human beings to rebel against law. We have a tendency to want to put up our, our, a fight against law. But God's law is perfect, and it's intended for our perfection. Paul agrees with this when he writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. He says, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Now, the law that he's talking about, we're not talking about going back to Old Testament law. We're not talking about going back to Jewish customs and law. But we're talking about the commands of God. Because remember, when Jesus came into the world that began the New Testament era, he didn't abolish the law. Rather, he fulfilled the law. He took what, what God had established and he became sin. He became the Word. He became, he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he fulfilled all the laws that God had established through his perfect sacrifice to be the one-time sacrifice for our sins. So God's law today is still good. It's not bad. When God establishes his law, remember what he does it for. He does it for our benefit. He does it so that we don't have to have the burden of sin and the guilt of consequences. That we don't have to deal with remorse. You don't have to have the pain of bad choices. That if we would just take what God's law is and understand that God would never ask anything of you that would hurt you. He would never ask anything of you that would be to your detriment. Everything he, co he commands and he orchestrates and he puts in place in his holy law is for your benefit and for my benefit. It's to make me be a fulfilled person now on this earth and forevermore. And it's only when I want to rebel against it that the law is hard. When I have Jesus in my life, when I fully surrender to his laws, life becomes better. Life becomes better. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But life becomes better when I obey the laws and precepts of God's word. And then finally, God's holiness 
was manifested at the cross. Author Arthur W. Pink writes in his book, The Attributes of God. And I've written it there. You can read along with me because this is uh, kind of hard to listen to maybe because of the, the way it's, it's an old writing. But it says, Not all the vials of judgment that have or shall be poured out upon the wicked world, nor the flaming furnace of a sinner's conscience, nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against the rebellious demons, nor the groans of the damned creatures give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin as the wrath of God let loose upon his Son. Never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time our Savior's countenance was most marred in the midst of his dying groans. This himself acknowledges in Psalm 22 when God had turned his smiling face from him and thrust his sharp knife into his heart, which forced that terrible cry from him, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He adores this perfection. Thou art holy. Holiness is best described at the cross. Because God had to send a holy, perfect sacrifice to cover up my sin and to blot out your iniquities as well. And then he goes on to say a little bit later in his book, The Attributes of God, because God is holy, acceptance with him on the ground of creature things or creature doings is utterly impossible. Did you get that sentence? Let me reread that. Because God is holy, acceptance with him on the ground of creature doings, in other words, what I do, is utterly impossible. A fallen creature could sooner create a world than produce that which would meet the approval of infinite purity. Can darkness dwell with the light? Can the Immaculate One take pleasure in filthy rags, as in Isaiah 64.6? The best that sinful man brings forth is defiled. A corrupt tree cannot bear good fruit. Fruit. God would deny himself, vilify his perfections, were he to account as righteous and holy that which is in it not so in itself. And nothing is so which has the least stain upon it, contrary to the nature of God. What the author is saying here is that the Lord detests the perverse, but he takes the upright into his confidence. Proverbs 3.32. And again, he says, The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Proverbs 15.9. See, God has to demonstrate his punishment against sin. He has to. He has no choice. Because of his holiness, he cannot look at iniquity and approve it. He cannot. He had to deal with it. And he had to deal with it through a sacrifice, a one-time sacrifice of his son, it had to have a shedding of blood. Maybe I've stated the, over, the obvious here, overstated it, but I, I don't think so, how holy God is. And then he requires us to be holy as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Huh. 
Are you okay with that? Are we comfortable with that? Being holy because God is holy? See, God is still talking to us here, even in our, even in our unholiness. He is not accepting it, but He's loving us so much that He's going to give us a way out of it. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So God has, has established himself without question as holy and set apart. There is no question given now. There is no excuse for us not to expect or accept God as being holy. But where does that put us with him? How then can we relate to a holy God? You know, as we look at our society around us, we see that the evolution of time um, has left us in a situation where times are getting more unholy all the time. We're not getting closer to utopia. We're not getting closer to a perfect world, are we? No, it, it's our world around us is spinning wildly out of control. And the more depraved we become, the more comfortable we become profaning the Lord's name. How comfortable are we in hearing the Lord's name defiled? How comfortable are we with what's being said on TV and the media? How they will prohibit certain profane sexual words to be used, but they don't have any problem saying the Lord's name in vain. They don't have any problem defiling who God is. That just shows you that our society that we're living in is not getting closer to God. We're getting farther away from God. Jackie, if you'd come. How much longer can this go on? How much longer is God going to put up with this? How much longer is a God that is so holy and so pure and so righteous that has already given us the solution to our impurities. How much longer is his patience going to hold out? Now we could be looking at this from the perspective of our society, but let me take it a little bit more personal. Are there areas in your life that you're struggling against? Are you hiding from God something? Are there areas in your life where you're not willing to surrender? Thinking that you have a lead force field that God's light can't get through. You see, we serve and we love a very patient God. Thank goodness for His patience. But there's going to come a time, though, when His patience are, is going to end. There's going to come a time when it's over. There's going to come a time, even in a man's life, that he may reject the Holy Spirit enough that the Holy Spirit may leave that man. So this morning, I guess I would challenge you, or challenge all of us, myself included in this, where am I? Am I a holy, set-apart being? Am I being made perfect in my holiness towards the Lord, or am I hiding some imperfections from the Lord, thinking that He's not going to see my sin? 
He's going to give me a bye come judgment day. Can I be that narcissistic to think that? The answer is yes, we can be. Yes, I can be. Yes, you can be. The challenge is, are you going to be? See, it's fort- we're all fortunate here that God's love matches His holiness. Otherwise, there would be no hope for mankind. And we're given this in John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that with what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I am so thankful that God's love matches His holiness. Because if He didn't, we would all be doomed. We would all be doomed to eternal destruction and eternal hell. But because of God's greatness and because of His mercy and because of His justice, because of His demand for iniquities to be punished, Jesus came on the scene and He gave us eternal life. But now, but now, there's a choice that has to be made. There's a choice. Just like Adam and Eve had the choice, there's a choice for you and I today. Are we going to accept Jesus as our perpetuation for our sins? Are we going to accept Him for the forgiveness that He provided for us? Are we going to allow the blood of Christ to flow over us to take all iniquity so that we become pure as light? Because when God looks at a pure person that has the blood of Christ, He's not seeing the impurity anymore. He's not seeing the sin anymore because the sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ. But the choice is ours this morning. As you would just bow your head and close your eyes with me. Let's just examine our heart for a minute this morning. And let's just ask the Lord to search me, O God. Test me in no anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked or any offensive way within me, Father. And lead me in the way of everlasting. So God, I just come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you for declaring your holiness to us. And I thank you for providing a path forward for us that we also can be in relationship with a God that is spirit and in truth. That only that way we can worship you or have relationship with you. But you've given us the path. So now, God, I'm challenging us with our choices this morning. Have we chosen to accept you? Are we choosing every day to put you at the center point of our life?
this morning, as your eyes are closed, if you would just want to declare again, because I believe most of us here this morning have done this at least once, but if you want to declare your commitment to this holy God, would you just raise your hand with me and say, yes, Jesus, look at me. I see the blood of Christ applied to my life. And I am reapplying the blood of Christ because I am choosing today to allow you to wash me clean today. Thank you. Would you stand with me? And then let's just sing the song that Jackie's playing as a declaration of our of our commitment to Him and our declaration of recognizing who Jesus is. That the train that fills the temple is our God. He's our God. I see the Lord and His train fills the temple. I see the Lord. He is high. I see the Lord and His train fills the temple. I see the Lord. He is high and lifted up. Angels cry.
Father, we just declare you holy today in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that you would just let this revelation be with us all week long, Lord, as we go throughout our days. Lord, I pray that the first things that we would think about as we wake in the morning is your holiness. And I pray, God, that throughout the day you would bring that back to us as a reminder of who you are and who we serve. And let that be an inspiration to us and a guiding light for us, God, that your light would just show shine in our hearts and our lives, that we would walk in your holiness and your light daily, God, and that you would uncover us from the cloak of sin and deception that the enemy wants to throw over us, I pray. Lord, I pray your charge over us this week. I pray your angels are given charge to protect, to guide, and to keep, I pray. Bring us back, Lord, that we can learn more about you in Jesus' name. Amen.